Hi, I'm Michael Radigan, and this is Three Cheers for Goaltender Interference. I'm with my co-host, Kat Silverman. You can follow me at Mikey Rads. You can follow Kat at Kat M. Silverman. And you can follow our podcast at Three Cheers for Goal One. That's the number three and the number one. You can also follow our producer, Maxwell Spar at Maxwell Spar. We're going to get right into our interview today. It's with Paralympic gold medalist, Josh Pauls. Uh, we're very excited to have him. So yeah, we're going to get right into it. Okay, joining us now is Josh Pauls, three-time gold medal winner in the Paralympics, as well as a four-time uh, gold medal winner in world championships. Josh, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you guys doing? It's Saturday, so can't complain. Yeah, yeah thanks I'm for having me on. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is an interview I've kind of wanted to have for a while. I, I feel bad. I... I'm notorious for um, forgetting to invite guests until the day before the show. Um, <laughs> and I felt like that was a tremendous disrespect to you because you have like 8 million things going on. I feel like you, you do motivational speaking, you write, you play hockey. And I was like, man, I don't want to like, I don't want to spring anything on him at the last minute. But then you said that you were available this weekend and it, it felt like a gift. So thank you for for being so open to uh to last minute bookings here. Um but how's how's this year been for you? Man, I mean, well 2021's been all right so far, but uh the whole like year, I guess I go by hockey season, so my year starts in like July with tryouts usually. Um it's kind of been wacky. Um I'm not going to lie, our season was shut down in uh let's see, February was our last event for the national team. And then I had my last tournament like the week before every everywhere shut down in March. So um, it's been a lot of, you know, stick without a carrot if, uh, with a lot of training, a lot of not knowing when we're going to get back together. But we finally got a season. We have a couple camps coming up here. We have some tryouts and then we have a world championship scheduled in June. So it's just to be honest, it's just really nice to have something to start, you know, aiming for when. You know, it's been a year of, hey, I'm just getting as ready as I can for it to be ready whenever it happens. Now we actually have a, a when it's going to happen. So it's about to be a pretty big whirlwind for you guys coming up. Oh, I think so. I mean, we have two two camps that are basically acting as our tryout. Um, we have 22 player roster that we're having to trim down to. Well, the co coaches are having to trim down to 17. I'm just there and looking to make the team. And then we have two more camps after that. And then we're right into world championships in Ostrava Czech Republic. So we were there in 2019 and I mean, the atmosphere was unreal. Like the Czech fans were crazy. Like it was 10,000 of them strong, like cheering, chanting. And, uh, obviously it's going to be a little different this year, but to be honest, like I'm just excited to play a game against someone other than, you know, my local St. Louis guys, or just even the same U S guys that we've been, uh, getting together and training a little bit. I'm just, I just want to play Team Canada, man. Like that's, yeah, I, I've never been so excited to see the Maple Leaf. No, that's that's one of the biggest rivalries in in hockey in general, sled hockey, junior hockey, men's, women's. I feel like the USA Canada sled hockey rivalry is a little terrifying. I was, I know, I was reading up on it a while back, and I think it was you, and then. 
the team Canada captain and the word hatred got thrown in there at one point. And now it's a, a mutual respect, but like, that's an intense, there, there've been line brawls. Uh, how, it, <laughs> Hell yeah. how did that happen? How did, uh, how did you guys end up? I obviously Canada and the U S are, those are, that's a heated rivalry in hockey in general, but how did it become so intense in sled hockey? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it was born from, you know, the normal, hey, U.S. and Canada, we're right next to each other. It's kind of a natural rivalry, basically born from the able-bodied side. But then, like, we had a, a gold medal winning team in 2002 when they were the host, and the only reason they made the tournament was because they were the host. And then they ended up going on to win gold in 2002. Canada won in 2006. And I think it's been, you know, I think for a while it was, you know, U.S., Canada, Norway were the top three countries in the world. Um, that's kind of shifted to where it's us and Canada on top, more like the women's game is. But I think part of it is like, when you think about men's and women's hockey, like these guys and girls are playing with each other when they get to college or even when they're, you know, in pro hockey, like they're having to intermingle where in sled, like we basically stay in our own countries. We're only getting together when we're playing against each other. I mean, the NHL sponsored a sled tournament called the NHL Sled Classic that they partner with USA Hockey to put on for anybody with a with a National Hockey League sponsored uh, team. And so recently, we've had some Canadian teams come down. But to be honest, like we don't ever just get to see these guys. You know, it's gonna we're seeing them at the World Championship or at a, a two game series and. You know, the two-game series are probably the best way to do it because, you know, we used to play three, and I think we now play two just to make sure, like, we're not beating the crap out of each other, to be honest. And I think it's just, it's a rivalry because we don't ever get to talk to each other. So immediately when we get on the ice, you know, it, we're automatically shit-talking each other. And I think I that's love, kind I of the that. best part of it. Like, I love that. that. That's awesome. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I try not to get involved in it probably because I'm just not a very good chirper. But, uh, and you know, every time I try to make a chirp, then we get scored on like immediately after. And so I just, I try to stay out of it, but I mean, we have guys that love it and that, you know, can really rile them up. We, they have guys that just try to fire us up. And I mean, it's just, it's a rivalry, just like anything, you know, a lot of people go into watching sled hockey going, Oh, this is going to be fun. This is so great. I just can't believe they're out there competing. And then they watch us, you know, stab each other with the pick ends of our sticks and, you know, have hits. I mean, obviously we don't want to want hits to the head, but, you know, of course it's hockey stuff's going to happen. And, um, I mean, it's, it's not pleasant. And I mean, people have asked me, Hey, do you go head over heels when you're, when you're playing sled? And, you know, I'd say, yeah, I do. Well, I would if I had heels. So um, <laughs> I think that's that's kind of the best part of it was is the just animosity between the two teams, even though like, I mean, I can't wait to go back and play Canada whenever we do in the world just to, to see how those guys are doing, because, you know, Canada and U.S. have been real different in terms of like the lockdowns and vaccine rollouts and everything there. So, you know, I'm just hoping that all their guys are all right. And um, but as soon as we got on the ice after I explain, uh, exchange my pleasantries with Tyler, the uh, Canada captain. Then it, all bets are off, and it's just another game. That's now, great. who on the team is the best chirper? I, I know I've seen a handful of the sled hockey games over the years. Uh, I feel like you don't notice as much of the chirping. You see some of the some of the more physical plays, and you see some of the more skilled plays. But I feel like I I, I couldn't pick out who the biggest chirper is off the top of my head. Who do you, yeah, who, I mean, who you um, 
I mean, at least on our side, I know Rico Roman's a big one, even though like he's more just trying to make sure that, you know, he tries to fire us up and then make sure he's kind of putting down the other team, whether it's, you know, through his play or, you know, whatever he says. But then Brody Roybal, he's obviously one of the best <laughs> players in the world. But the best part, I think, about him is in 2018, we were playing Italy in the semifinals of the Paralympics. And he got teed, which is basically when you take your sled and hit somebody almost perpendicular. It's basically you hit someone without making body contact is how I interpret the rule, whether that's right or wrong. I'm not a referee, so I'm not going to really care. Um, But I saw Brody get teed. He looked up at the ref and was like, what the heck? The referee was like, no, it's not a penalty. So as he's yelling at the ref, he literally turns and scores a goal. Like as like making eye contact (laughs) with the ref, like my favorite, like just sequence of anything. And that's like for sure something I'm always going to remember. I might not remember all the gold medal winning goals or, you know, half the goals I scored, but man, I'm always going to remember Brody staring down a ref while scoring a goal. <laughs> that's, that's who I kind of suspected it was, was going to be on the list, but I didn't know if he was just, cause he's sometimes involved in some of the, some of the scuffles too. I feel like uh, usually when there's, there's a little bit of a, a shoving match on the ice, it looks like, Brody's sort of right in the middle of that. Um, but talking about that that roster, guys, like Rico Roman, uh, Brody Royball, um, there's obviously you. If if Steve Cash returns, that would be two guys who – I you guys have both been on all of those same gold medal winning teams, correct? He was on all three Olympic, Paralympic teams with you, and then was he on all four world teams with you as well? Yeah, Cash has been playing since 2006. So he was on that bronze medal winning team in 2006, and he's been basically our starting goalie ever ever since after that year. And, I mean, we've gone from having to rely on him to make, you know, 40, 40 saves a game, and now hopefully, like, we've gotten to the point where his work's a little less, um, less of a load. But, I mean, he's still having to make some crazy saves because, I mean, it's just the way we play. You know, we play a high-risk, high-reward sometimes. I mean... I like jumping up in the play, and obviously that's just that's going to get you caught sometimes as a defenseman. So, I mean, like we have some amazing players, but man, like Steve is like the heart and soul of this team, and he he really does a great job of just basically stopping everything. And I'm fortunate to to play against him every day in St. Louis. Like he's just a rock, man. His glove, he just he gives it to you, and then he just takes it right away. And I think our favorite uh, favorite saying that I've actually heard uh, recently is, you know, Steve's great, but he stops me from achieving my goals all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's any good goalie, right? Right. For sure. Now, you, you talk about in St. Louis right now, how many guys are able to get together and play right now? Like how many, how many members of the, at least the, the 2020, 2019, 2020 national team, have you been able to, to practice with and play against uh, during this last, I guess, 365-day hiatus from any any meaningful games? Um, I mean, so we have a pretty big contingent down in Nashville. Um, we've had some guys move there. So we have, I think, five or six, maybe seven. I mean, we have a lot of guys down in Nashville. And then it's like me and Cash uh, up in St. Louis. And we have, all have local teams that we practice with, we play with. So um, we've been able to have some kind of informal training sessions. Nothing like, you know, USA Hockey's been able to put on, but just hey, we've got some ice. If guys want to come down, we can, you know, find ways to, to stay safely. And um, we've had probably three or four of those total. Um, I've only gone to one or two, but, 
it's just it's really nice to be able to get together especially being away from so for so long just because like i don't know it was it's such a ritual for us right like we're together usually once a month from september or october up until you know march april may depending on the year and so like when you lose that you lose a lot of like camaraderie you lose a lot of the social interactions that you normally get being a part of a team i mean we have our local teams but like the hockey it's it's so different compared to what the national team is and you know jeff sauer used to always harp on us because we we would hold on to the puck so long because he's like and because that's just how you do it in club hockey and he's like no like if you pass the puck you're gonna get it back we have some really skilled guys like if you just pass the puck and get open like it's gonna get back to you eventually so um, I think that's a shift that we've had to make just, you know, going from one level to, to the other. It's almost like going from, you know, might squirt hockey, um, a higher level than that, obviously. But we have a lot of times where, you know, single guys or goalies are carrying a team. And then, you know, we go to playing with everyone on equal ability and equal footing. And so it's just it's such a difference. But it's it's really awesome because you go from all right, I, I have to get some really good cardio in because I'm playing 45 out of 45 minutes. I get two breaks, the intermission breaks, and then you go to having to, to take one-minute shifts. Like, And that's just been such a mentality shift a lot, a lot of times. But, I mean, that's that's ultimately how we want to play the game, and it's just that much more fun. Um, I have a question for you because I know you talked about U.S., Canada, and you know, obviously those are two great hockey countries, but you mentioned Norway and Italy. In, in these tournaments, you get a lot of different countries that normally people, you know, Italy, that's not a country that you think of as a hockey country. So do you guys normally uh, get countries that aren't usually, you know, big hockey countries that enter the, that are able to be in these tournaments and things like that? Yeah, I mean, it really just depends kind of on like the the support they're getting from their, you know, local federation or national federation, I should say, like. Uh, Japan, we beat them in 2010 for gold, and silver was the highest they've finished in the Paralympics, I think, since then. And I mean, like Japan, South Korea, South Korea has been a perennial bronze medal, fourth place team for in the world for a while. So they're always, you know, challenging us and challenging, you know, the other teams. Like um, Italy's definitely not one that you would think, but since 2006, they've been consistently in the A pool, which is the top eight teams in the world. So, I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of different countries, but I think a lot more um, kind of traditional hockey-playing countries are kind of on the up-and-up. Like, um, Sweden's one that's kind of bounced up and down between A and B. Um, Slovakia just made the A pool for this year by winning the B pool last year, or coming second, I think. So, like, we have a lot of different countries, but, I mean, it's fun because you get to go to some crazy places. I've been to South Korea um gosh like three times two times two times i think no three maybe i don't know i I lost i lose track i've been on the team for so long at this point like everything kind of blurs together i hate to say it but you know we've been to norway and you know going there was really awesome just because you know it's it's norway it's a totally different you know atmosphere from what you're used to in the u.s and canada i mean we almost always have a, a guaranteed canada trip this year obviously we won't but um it's just it's always different, but it's always fun to go experience the the different cultures, the different sites to see. I mean, I remember waking up when I was, you know, 17 on a bus in Japan because that's where we had a turn. We were traveling to Nagano and I remember waking up and they drive on the, what is it? The left side of the road rather than the right. And I woke up and was like, Oh my gosh, we're on the wrong side. And then I was like, <laughs> no, never mind. Jet, you're just jet lagged. That's how they drive here. Wow. So it's, you've gotten to travel the world and see a lot of cool places. And you mentioned that, possibly next year you'll be going to beijing china 
Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, obviously. I mean, I think World Championships is obviously a big part of that. The top five teams at Worlds this year will automatically qualify for the Paralympics. And, I mean, for us in the U.S., we're like, we're, we're going gold or bust. So um, top five is definitely something that we're planning on. But, um, you know, I think that's just something that we, you know, we know we've worked towards and we've been able to establish a certain level of dominance in the sport. And we're just looking to maintain that and continue it because, you know, it, it, it's really, really hard to, to get on top and become the first place team in the world, but it's even harder to stay there because then everybody's, everybody has a target on your back and everybody's looking and gunning for you, especially since, you know, we've gone, you know, what is it? Uh, 2018, we won 2019. We won worlds. Like, we have a pretty good winning streak in major tournaments going on, and we're just trying to make sure that we're working every day to improve and make sure we're always working towards, you know, staying that first place team. Because, I mean, I won't lie, it's a lot easier to motivate yourself when you're you have a second place finish and you're saying, okay, we got to beat these guys this time. Where first place, hey, you're enjoying that success and you're really just trying to make sure that you're staying there. But the motivation, it's definitely harder to find, but I think we've done a pretty good job of finding it. Speaking of first place, you have seven gold medals between uh, the Paralympics and the World Championships. Which one has, I mean, if you could really narrow it down, which one or two has meant the most to you? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, Definitely 2010, I think, was a big one because, you know, I was on that 2009 World Championship team. I didn't play a whole lot, but I did have the best seat in the house because I was on the bench the entire time. So (laughs) had way better view than the fans. But um, then I got cut that year going in at the tryout for the 2010 team. And I remember, you know, being 16 years old, the coaches said, hey, we're going to drop you down to the development team. We just need you to, to work hard and, you know, stay ready, because if something happens, you're going to be one of the first guys we call. And so, you know, I just remember driving home with my dad from Rochester, New York at that tryout. And he was just like, well, if you don't like it, just go prove him wrong. So, you know, I worked my tail off in the gym and, you know, I had a little bit of luck involved. Don't get me wrong. Um, we had a guy retire kind of mid-season, but I remember getting that call from the GM and he was like, you know, Josh, we're, you're going to have the same chance to make this team as everyone else. We still have three cuts to make, but you're on the same footing as everybody. And I just remember running around my house without my legs on, just like <laughs> freaking out because I was just so excited to at least have a chance. And, you know, I ended up switching positions from defenseman to forward that year. And I remember sitting on the bench getting ready for that very last like pre pre uh, cut game, I guess. And I was sitting there going, you know, I just really want to be a defenseman. And my teammate Taylor lips, it looked at me and he was, he goes, all right, that's fine. But the ticket to Vancouver's as a forward. And I remember sitting there thinking and something like just clicked in my brain. And I was like, Oh, well, if that's how I'm going to do it, then I need to be the best damn forward. I'm going to be, I don't really know where to go. I don't know, really know what to do, but I'm going to figure it out because I want to make this team. And I just, I remember making it and, and being just over the moon. It didn't really matter. You know, you could have had me as the third string goalie for all I cared. Like, I just was so happy to make it. I was 17 years old getting to go to Vancouver, Canada, which is a beautiful city. And, you know, to win all five games, giving up maybe a total of 30 shots that entire tournament, and then shut out everyone. I mean, I think that was just such an unbelievable experience. It's something that obviously can only ever be equal. It can't be beaten. So, I mean, that's really, that was a really roundabout way of saying probably 2010. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And it's nice that you guys were able to take the gold home. And then uh, the U.S. men's team had that heartbreaker against Canada in 2010 in uh, overtime. So it was nice you guys were able to 
bring the gold home. I know that was kind of like that was almost our mentality, you know, in 2010 and 2014 um, and 2018. It helped that the women got gold, but it was uh, okay. Well, hey, these guys didn't get it done. We need to get it done. I mean, nothing against them. I remember uh, I got to meet uh, Zach Parisi and Jamie Langenbrunner at a Devils game after after the the games were over and after we came back with gold and. You know, my dad and I were walking up and with the, I don't know, one of the guys that works for the Devils. And he was like, all right, uh, let's just make sure we, you guys have fun. You, we'll take a picture. You, got, you can talk to him for a little bit. And then they just got to get ready for the game. And my dad goes, so when we see him, do we just say, hey, this is what a gold medal looks like? And he kind of looked at us and was like, no, 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 you don't say that. Like, stop doing it. And we're just like joking, obviously. Like, my, my dad and I are pretty alike. And we don't really have too, too many serious bones in our body. But then the first thing Zach Parisi says is he goes, oh, hey, that's what a gold medal looks like. And I <laughs> yeah. just, it was just such a funny moment. But, you know, to, to watch those guys come so close and then just have such a heartbreak. I mean, you obviously feel for him. But I remember sitting on my couch going, all right, well, it's our turn. We got to make sure we win it. And I'm just fortunate that we pulled it out like we did. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That sounds so and you got to be in Vancouver during that time period, a beautiful city. And so, yeah, it's you get to win a bunch of gold medals and travel the world. It's not a bad gig. It's a really, really rough life, but somebody has to do it, and I'm <laughs> yeah. willing to make the sacrifice. Somebody has to do it for us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now, in in my opinion, I think all of our listeners should be watching sled hockey because I. Uh, I accidentally stumbled across watching it in 2015. Um, I got assigned to to write something on you guys um, at I believe it was at the Para Worlds, and that was that was when Declan Farmer was still pretty pretty new to the team, still pretty young, and uh, so I was I was assigned to write something on how he was playing and ended up getting hooked. Uh, but for for listeners who haven't necessarily watched sled hockey yet at any point how would you describe the biggest difference between it and watching you know stand-up hockey what's what would you say is the biggest difference there I mean probably the biggest difference is we have two we have two ways to shoot and they only have one I mean yeah they have forehand and backhand but we have you know a left stick and a right stick um I mean, our general manager always says that it's a combination of bumper cars mixed with Nordic skiing mixed with hockey. So, I mean, That's it's it's an intensely <laughs> physical game. Um, I think there's almost more more physicality than like a typical, you know, NHL or just, you know, obviously like international hockey uh, play just because, you know, the sleds are longer. It's easier to hit guys. Um, but, you know, there's still I think the tremendous amount of skill has grown um, ever since I started, I think especially like the way our U.S. teams kind of evolved. We evolved from, hey, we're going to dump it in. And our third line, I mean, in Vancouver, we had our scoring line, we had our defensive line, and we had our break line. I was a member of the break line. Our job was to give the other two lines a break. That was our literally our job. So we've gone from that to, you know, having three lines that can play a dump and chase style. But, man, we want to possess the puck. Like, we want to carry it in. We don't want to give the Canadians a chance because – you know, they have some pretty big bodies on that team. And, and once they have the puck, it's a, a really tough to, to kind of take it from them. So, you know, I think the sports evolved to be just like the NHL and just like women's hockey. Like it's it's evolved from, you know, more of a grinded out kind of game to more skill based and more showcasing skill. But, you know, when you have a Declan Farmer who is 
I mean, I'm not going to say he's better than Matt, Matt Barzell, but he has a very similar style. And then, you know, you have Brody, who's Brad Marchand, basically just, you know, <laughs> chirping guys, but still has tons of skill in his game. Like, that's the fun part, I think, because it's no different than hockey. It's not any, you know, less. I think a lot of people go into sled hockey going, like I said earlier, like, oh, it's a feel-good game. There's nothing feeling good unless you win the win the dang game. And I've never seen somebody that's walked into a rink watched a game, even, you know, five minutes of the sport and then gone, eh, that's all right. Like, they're always, whoa, this is so awesome. How do I watch more? How can I see more? Like, where where do you guys play? Like, there's always a million different questions. But at the same time, I've also gone from, you know, seeing people go, oh, what's sled hockey to, oh, yeah, I remember watching you in 2015 or, you know, 2017 or in 2018, the Paralympics. Like, people are starting to recognize that they're starting to watch more. And I think that's the cool part because you're finally getting that recognition and I know uh, my fiance, she wasn't at the time in 2018, but uh, I remember her telling me she couldn't get past a commercial break during any of our games without seeing Rico's face. She's like, I know, I, I know he's a great guy. I think he's awesome, but I, I'm tired of seeing his face just because he's, <laughs> he's everywhere. And I think that's, that's awesome that we're having you know players that have the ability to go out and get those sponsorships and just kind of get their name and brand out there because we have a lot of guys that are, you know, tremendously smart with hockey and even outside of the game and so you know when we're able to share our stories and our knowledge I think just like anything you know diversity is key and we really want to make sure that you know we're getting out there and we're able to to show people what we're able to do because I think the sport does a great job of showing everybody what physically we're able to do but we need to show everybody just completely what we're capable of because we are a lot more than just hockey players as big of a part of our identity as it is um, we are more than just that. Now, sort of to springboard off of that, because uh, you, you brought up the diversity angle and, and just getting more people involved in playing the sport. Uh, I know, I, I believe I read that you've been a part of the, the NHL's You Can Play initiatives and, and the hockey is for everyone. And so far in the time you've been able to work on that, what, what are you seeing essentially the, the hockey community, particularly in the U.S., uh, since that's that's where you're based, that's where we're based, what are they getting right there and where are they still kind of falling flat on, and, and not necessarily falling flat like they're failing, but what where do we still need to, to almost concentrate more energy and effort to, to get more kids especially who, who may not know that, that's, that sled hockey is an option for them? How, how do we get them playing the game so we get more Brodies and and Josh Pauls and, and Jack Wallace's and uh, and Declan Farmers involved yeah I mean I wish I had all the answers so I could just sprout them out and then the NHL would hire me and tell me okay here we're going to give you a salary to make this happen but um I think obviously like viewership is is going to help because the more we can get out there the more people can see it the more people are going to actually say hey this is a possibility you know I I started in 2002 um, when you know a, a sled team came and played an able body hockey team, they made them sit in sleds, kick the crap out of them, and then I got to try it right after. So, you know, the more the NHL I think can can start to really you know expand those opportunities or even just put money into the game because you know sled hockey is just one discipline of disabled hockey. There's six of them out there. There's sled, blind, deaf, hard of hearing. There's warrior hockey. There's special hockey, and I know I'm forgetting one. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting one, but there, there's so many disciplines out there, right? 
And I think it's about making sure that people know what their options are because I don't think I always knew the, what options I had. I mean, obviously, we've seen different disciplines of disabled hockey growing. Um, and it's something that we want to see continue because, you know, the more people that can play the game, it's not about getting people on the national team. Obviously, just like the NHL, the more people they can get that are NHL ready or the more people we can get that are candidates for the national team, the better our program is going to be because the more competition is just better, right? But I think hockey, especially in the disabled community, is something that can really help someone's self-esteem. It can give them a sense of belonging. I know, like, I never really had a chance to participate fully in gym class. Like, don't get me wrong, my my teachers were always ready to find a way to adapt something to me. And they kind of made sure that I was always included. I was always doing something. I wasn't just sitting on the sideline. But I don't think that's the reality for everyone. And so to be able to give someone a chance to get their competitive uh, juices flowing and get on a level playing field where they're able to problem solve, whether it's on the ice, but also off of it. You know, the amount of times I've talked to some of my teammates and gone, hey, what knee do you have? Like, how, how do you like it? Hey, what kind of foot do you have? How can we, like, you know, put this knee and foot together? Or how, how do you like it so that I can go back to my doctor and say, hey, like, one of my guys had this one prosthetic foot. I think I'd really like it. Can we try to get it, at, get it on me? And so I think just being able to interact with people that have some of the same, you know, challenges that, you know, we all face, whether it's, you know, wheelchair, whether it's, um, prosthetics, whether it's, you know, just some way to, to, you know, finance any of those or even just finance, uh, hockey equipment, because, um, we don't want someone to have to make the call, uh, or someone's parents have to make the call of, okay, do we get them these advanced knees that are going to help them walk every day in their daily life? Or do we get them the specialized sports equipment? And so I think by finding ways to support the local organizations and that grassroots stuff, like, you know, we have DASA, the Disabled Athlete Sport Association in St. Louis. I started with a team called the Woodbridge Warriors in New Jersey. Like finding ways to make sure those teams are supported, have the equipment that they can not just loan out but give out to people, um, I think will really help grow the sport. Because, we, I mean, hockey is an expensive sport. I think we've seen, um, you know, especially I think the boys game is kind of dropped off in terms of, um, you know, just grassroots level and youth signups. And that's not something that we want. Uh, to happen in the disabled game we want to make sure that people have the accessibility so that if you want to play hockey you can I think that's really what it what it kind of boils down to if you want to play the game nothing should stop you from being able to do that um, aside from you saying you know I just don't want to play anymore yeah I you mentioned grassroots and I think that's that's really it for a lot of communities in general you know it I grew up playing too and it's it, and so it's so did cat and it, it is it's ex, it's extremely expensive and I, ice time too is really expensive and i i think you hit the nail on the head when you uh kept saying grassroots yeah that's that's really what it is is reaching out to these different communities i feel like it, it has to be i mean and that's the thing we want to grow it in different areas right because um I mean, most people don't realize, but having a disability that makes you a that puts you in a minority population, and we're one of the largest minority populations in the world. And so, I, it's not something I think people think of. I think when you think minority, you think of you know maybe race or you think of you know gender identity. You don't necessarily think disability. And while I don't want to discount any of those other groups because they all face other challenges that maybe we don't, but it's something that I think we need to talk more about and get people thinking of because. 
frankly, we're everywhere. You know, there's not, you know, areas that we're more, that, sure, there might be more areas we're more prominent in, but we want to give people the ability to not have to travel, you know, hours away to go play a sport that's really going to help, you know, just their quality of life and just their, their mental well-being. And that's something that I think that we can do as a group. We need to find people that are dedicated, that want to, you know, grow those programs and start programs. But we also have to find ways to help um, really just aid them and give them the tools so that they're not going in blind and they're able to, to make it successful right from the, the start. They don't have to kind of have those growing pains. I think USA Hockey has done a great job with that. With the, uh, They have a disabled workshop that they hold, their disabled hockey workshop to help people, whether it's through fundraising or to educate them on, you know, how to, how to start a, a team or how to, you know, apply for grants or anything like that. So I think that's definitely a, a good starting point, but I think we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're targeting people in different areas that may not have a team and may not be so hockey traditional because I think, you know, Declan Farmer's from Florida. How often do you think of Florida as a traditional hockey thing? Like we don't, I don't think we want to have traditional hockey markets anymore. I think we just want to have everywhere be a hockey market. Yeah. Grow, just I love grow, that. Grow, yeah. Grow the game like across our country. Right. And Sunbelt States and the South and across California and everything. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, the technology is there. Like we can build a rink pretty much anywhere. So right. I think it's just making sure that people have the ability and the know-how on how to actually do that. And when you, I'm going to shift it slightly into, we, we got a couple questions. Um, I did get some DMs to me too that I'll open up in a second. But one of the questions that we were asked when I, I put out on Twitter to like an open call, um, Meredith, uh, she's, a, she's a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. She asked about not just the, the growth, but the inclusion of sled hockey, talking about inclusivity in hockey. And that's something that I know other minority groups in hockey have, have been grappling with a little bit over the last, well, forever, but we've been vocally hearing about it more over the last couple of years. Is that something that you see in sled hockey and other adaptive hockey communities as well? Or is that something that, you know, it's not quite as much of a, a barrier? It's more of the, the cost and the, the availability. Yeah, I mean... Ultimately, like I don't, I don't really enjoy the word inclusion. Um, I took a class at Lindenwood University, and they talked about, you know, inclusion is, hey, we're going to add you to the group. Where infusion is ultimately, you're just part of the group, and this is just what our group is. And I think that should be the goal. It should be infusion, infusing, you know, disabled minds, you know, BIPOC minds, you know, any kind of minority group. Because, I mean, I, I'd love to tell, sit here and tell you that, you know disabled hockey and sled hockey in general has, you know, a more diverse group, but, you know, I think ultimately most of our players are white, right? And so, you know, whether we have a disability or not, we want that diversity, but we don't want just the diversity in color. We want the diversity in experiences. And I think that's really what we're looking for in in different diversity uh, initiatives is to have different experiences, to bring those people in and have a different perspective because ultimately perspective is reality. And so, you know, if we have a, a bunch of guys that have the same perspective, well, that's their reality. But what if we bring someone else in or a group of people in that have different experience and they can show them their perspective, maybe we're able to tackle a problem from a different angle. And so, you know, I mean, 
I've been to things before with able body hockey where, you know, I feel like I'm the token, token disabled guy. I'm just there to, to give a good story so that people can feel bad for me. And, um, people can sit there and go, wow, he doesn't have legs. That must be so hard. And, you know, I mean, it's not hard. I've dealt with it my entire life. Like I was basically born like this, so I know nothing else. And so, you know, life isn't harder for me. It's just my life. Uh, I put on my legs one at a time, just like you guys put on your pants one leg at a time. Like it's not, not too crazy to think, um, except my shoes are already on my legs. I don't have to put them on every day. So I think really ultimately it just comes down to making sure that we have that diversity of perspective because like I said, perspective is everyone's reality. And when we can change that reality or at least open that up so that people have an idea of what other people are going through, I think that's really going to be where our, our sport is going to diversify and it's really going to grow because, I mean, I think whether we like it or not, I think it's been just a white male dominated sport. And, you know, as much as sometimes I felt like one of the guys, whether when, when I'm in different hockey settings, I don't necessarily feel like I want to be just one of the guys. I want to be, you know, someone that breaks down some barriers for other people to come after me, just like we had those guys on the 2002 team come before us. I love that, that inclusion versus infusion. That's a, I, I hadn't heard it worded like that before. Um, which I think almost speaks to how, you know, you, you learn that in a class. That's, that's pretty easy to do is, you know, take a class. I think, uh, I think that just goes to show how, how much more legwork I'd say you've been doing, um, towards that, that infusion and diversity process, which I think is awesome. That's, that's part of the reason I kind of wanted to have you on in addition to being one of, one of the most dominant U.S. athletes of, of our generation. Um, it is funny you say though, that people sometimes feel bad for you because I, we, we have a mutual friend who went to Lindenwood with you, uh, Cody Kurpinski. And I just remember him Mm -hmm. saying, that the first time he he saw you, I think you were like running on the track and you just like kept going and didn't stop. And he was like, it was insane. Like the the fitness level that you have compared to even as a hockey player, he said that he felt like he, he paled in comparison to just the, the workout and discipline that you had. But to to sort of continue along with that, with some of these questions, um, we did get asked by by John on Twitter, how many more Paralympics do you hope to compete in? I know we have one coming up next year. How many more, hopefully beyond that one, do you think you, you want to be a part of? Oh, man. I mean, I think obviously, you know, Beijing is something that I'm aiming for. I think it'd be kind of crazy to, to call it quits right before. And, you know, I, I'm not ready to, to stop anytime soon. And um, I mean, we have the 2026 games that are set in Milan and, you know, my grandfather grew up a couple hours from there. And so I think it'd be really cool to, to kind of take a trip out there and, you know, see, you know, I, we've been to Milan before, but to, to be there and go there for a Paralympics, I mean, who doesn't want a free trip to Milan or a, uh, not a free trip, <laughs> but a trip to uh, Milan, Italy on, uh, on the USOPC's dime. But I think really, you know, I want to keep competing and, you know, I think I've had different motivations in every Paralympics I've played in. I've played, you know, in 2010, hey, I don't know what it's like to win a gold medal. Then 2014, hey, man, like I'm starting to become like a premier player. I want to I want to dominate this level. And then 2018, it's, 
hey, it's my first year as captain. I'm trying to make sure that we're, we're I'm guiding these guys through the right way and to make sure we can win another one. And now, like, it's getting to the point where I've pretty much accomplished everything that I could possibly accomplish, you know, personally in the sport. But the issue is some of the guys on the team haven't. They haven't been to a world championship and won a gold medal. They don't know what that feeling's like. And I just want that same feeling for them because I know how hard they work. I know how much they sacrifice on and off the ice. And, you know, I just want that for my teammates. And I think, you know, I think we're going to take it one by one and take it year by year. But I think the next two are for sure in my wheelhouse. And then we'll kind of reassess after that. Um, Along those lines uh, of, you know, what you've, been able to achieve so far um like I said I had somebody give me a, a nice long list of questions here um what what would you say is the greatest thing sled hockey has given you aside from from the championships and the olympic success what what outside of that do you think is the greatest thing you've, you've gotten from the sport man that's a great question um I mean I think the simple answer is I learned what the paralympics were um, going into 2010, I didn't realize that the Paralympics are the Paralympics because they're parallel to the Olympics. Um, oh. I know most people don't ever think they think paraplegic, but you know, I was sitting in a media training session going, Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Like that makes sense. But honestly, like it's, it's giving me so many opportunities. You know, I've worked with the NHL, I've worked with USA hockey. I, I had the chance to coach, um, one of the U S uh, the national team development programs tryout camps one year, the one with like Keandre Miller, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, those guys. And just to, to be around and, you know, Ryan Hardy was the GM at the time. And, you know, I just remember he, he didn't approach it. I thought I was like, okay, I'm just going to be the, the token disabled guy. They're bringing me in for, you know, whatever. And I remember asking him like, why'd you want me? You had Declan farmer who scores a billion goals and you have Steve cash. Who's been the goalie since 2006. And he was like, I don't know what it was. You weren't the best player. You weren't the grittiest. You were just, you were really good. And I just enjoyed your style. You just played hard. And, you know, I just remember talking to him throughout the camp and I, and with him, I never felt like it was just, he's here because of his disability. I want guys to, to see perspective. You know, he was like, you've won so much, you, you know what it's like to represent. And, you know, I think that's more of the stuff I like to do when people respect you as an athlete and respect you as a person, because I don't think that's something that happens to most disabled people. And, you know, like I said, I get my fair share of, man, life must be so hard. And I'm, I had some guy tell me that he just had his knee replaced, but my life has, must be so much harder. And I was like, no, you went through like a surgery. If I need a double knee replacement, I'm, I'm literally in doctor's office for like an hour. They, you know, <laughs> they pull my old knees off, put them on, they program them on a computer and then boom, I'm ready to walk. Like it's really easy. And, you know, he kind of looked at me weird and I just, I think perspective is a powerful thing. And that's something that, you know, I'm always looking to change. I don't want people to think, uh, I don't want people to feel bad for me because I, I live my life just like anything else. You know, I have to go grocery shopping. I have to get up and go to the gym. Like I don't always want to do it, but it's something that I enjoy doing and I want to make sure that I'm able to leave my mark. Now I will shift topics here now, now that we've, uh, we've gotten some fantastic answers by the way on on hockey in general. Um, I know when I, when I asked you to come on, I believe your exact response was hockey and pop punk. What else could I want? <laughs> and I did get a couple of questions about, about pop punk music. Um, as someone who's from New Jersey, um, that obviously it didn't have, in my opinion, 
as superior of a pop punk scene as Long Island, but it had a very good pop punk scene. Um, and which which band growing up would you say really solidified your love for for music in general? Because I, I know you're a big you're a big music guy, right? Oh yeah, I mean. I'm very particular about my music too. And man, I, if there's one, I mean, My Chemical Romance was always a big band when I was younger. And that was something that I really enjoyed. Like this, I, I think just the meaning behind some of the lyrics and, you know, I think I need a good blend of, you know, meaning behind lyrics, but I also need a good, a good tune. Right. And, you know, I remember just going to Warp Tour um, in New Jersey at PNC. I don't know. It was, I couldn't tell you the name of it now, but I remember I, I was in my wheelchair and I, I went crowd surfing and that was like the <laughs> ultimate, like just fantastic thing. Like my friends were like, Oh yeah, yeah, we've done this before. You just find the biggest dude. You say, Hey, I want to go up there. And then they end up like throwing you up there in your chair. And Oh my gosh, it was just such a surreal experience. Um, just to, to kind of be up there to, to be just a part of the group because nobody looked at you weird and we're like, Oh, why is he like, why does he want to do this? They were just like, Oh, yep. You want to crowd surf? Let's go. Like, Let's do it. And so I think that was just such something that, you know, solidified my love for it. Um, you know, I think Parkway Drive was one of the bands there that I crowd surfed to. And it was just it was just really awesome to, to kind of be a part of. Yeah, I would say I I'll, I mean, obviously, we love My Chemical Romance. Too. I feel like they're like probably one of the best bands to ever come from Jersey. I feel like for me, I think so. I mean, maybe the best band. To come uh it, i would put it a tie with them and gaslight anthem that uh, was that was going to be my next question is where does gaslight anthem fall yeah you? Ooh, yeah i mean mcr is definitely like top not even like i don't think there's really any any argument there for me i think that's that's the definitive number one gaslight i mean it's 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 good but um i did don't you think listen- you're ever going to beat mcr did you ever listen to thursday I don't, I, I'm sure I've heard it. I definitely yeah. heard it. Like, it sounds familiar, but man, like, I'm not going to lie. I listened to a lot of stuff on the radio when I was younger, and I never, like, paid attention enough to know who sung what or what the song name was. So if you played it, I'm sure I'd recognize <laughs> it. But I, I, I have such a hard time putting bands to song names to, to lyrics. Yeah, you mentioned Warp Tour. I used to go all the time when I was younger, too. And, it, like, I loved going to Warp Tour when I was growing up as a teenager it's, it's such a it's like like a punk rock summer camp almost it was so much fun oh yeah i mean you're just dying in the summer heat you know yeah. you're trying to stave off the dehydration but you're it's just so having un- a blast yeah it's so unhealthy but it was such a good time <laughs> oh yeah there was nothing good about it for you except you know just the enjoyment you got and you know hanging out with your friends yeah the sheer joy there um I think my child's decided she wants to dress like a like a warp torrity for for the foreseeable future. So I'm obviously on board <laughs> with, with everything that's going on here. Um I have to ask then, as as a huge MCR fan, which is the better mid two thousands rock opera? American Idiot or the Black Parade? Oh, don't make me choose. Um I have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I gotta say the Black Parade. I mean, yes. like, I just it, that song just I don't know what about it. You're I our just best love guest it. ever. I think, I think so. Me and Kat debate this. I, I she thinks uh, Black Parade, and I I love the Black Parade. I think it's a good album. Uh, and I always pick American Idiot. And we we usually ask our guests uh, which one. 
and they always pick American Idiot. So I think you're the first person to ever side with Cat. Wow. The, See, the I'm more of a weird owl guy with Canadian. Exclusively with me. The only one to fight <laughs> exclusively. We've had two who couldn't choose. We had two that said, oh, well, mm, I like them both. Uh, I would pick both. Um, and I think one, I think it was a. I think we I think we had one who said that the song American Idiot was better, but then the album Black Parade. Oh yeah, maybe. So I mean I could see that, but yeah, black it's Black Parade all You're the way, correct. I think. I mean Green Day's great, but you gotta stick with the hometown team. Yeah, that's true. Did you mention did you just mention Weird Al? <laughs> yeah, Canadian Idiot. It was one of my favorite songs <laughs> oh, before I played God. before dude, I played dude, I uh loved, I loved yeah. Weird Al when I was younger. <laughs> Oh yeah, I think I think Weird Al was my first ever concert. What? No. Yeah, you I know. saw Weird Al live. I did. It was weird. It was awesome though. What? I know. Like I'm, I'm just a weird guy, I guess. That's I. I mean, I I assumed there are people who have seen him live in concert, but I didn't know that that was anyone's first concert. I feel like that's that's like an expert level concert experience. I feel like you have to build your way up to that, but you just kind of kind of jumped in i mean i'm not saying it was my favorite concert experience but it was definitely my first i can't take that i can't change that there you go that's wild uh now i did get a a twitter dm question um from from matt estevez he he covers the tampa bay lightning um he said that he knows this is not a pop punk band but it is a jersey native band senses fail yes or no are you a Senses Fail fan? That name sounds so familiar, but I don't know if I've listened to any of their stuff. So I don't, I mean, they were, if they they're from Jersey, a probably a pass. Here, I can tell you that much. Huh. Um, I mean, I, I got to say pass. Say... What about Springsteen or Bon Jovi? Ooh. Oh. Um, man, that's tough. Um, probably. Huh. Um, I mean, Bon Jovi, I guess. Springsteen's. I mean, they're so, I don't know, they're, they're different, but they're similar, and they're just, they're anything anybody thinks of when it comes to Jersey, I'd rather them think pork roll, but that's like the first two things that come to mind for most people. That's fair. Yeah, that's true, absolutely. That's fair. Um, last, last couple questions here. We did get, uh, we got a question asking, um... Do you have any tips for not almost slicing your leg completely open with your stick on your first try at sled hockey? Um, that's from Ryan Hank. Uh, he runs one of the Vancouver Canucks podcasts. He and uh, his co-host Teddy Wong got a chance to, uh, I think they let the Canucks media at one point go out and try sled hockey. And it may have been around around the time of the Paralympics. Um, but apparently there was there was an experience that involved lots of blood and uh, the stick and they didn't give me all the details, but which I guess sort of the better question would be how, how hard is it to get going when you first put on a sled and, you know, get out there to try? Is it something that takes a long time to get used to? Is it something that takes a long time to get good at, but is kind of easier to, to skate so to speak, is it called skating with the sled or is it, is it sledding? Um, I mean, I call it skating, but I, I mean, people call it kind of everything. Um, obviously the best tip to 
not cut your leg open is to just not have legs. Um, <laughs> that's the, the easiest way that you're not going to cut yourself. But um, I mean, it's tough. Like it's, it's the same as skating, right? It's, it's tough when you first start. And so, you know, I think personally, I think it turns a lot of disabled athletes off of it um, just because it's so difficult to even get started. But, you know, we have different ways that we can, you know, widen the blades. Like I sit with my blades about an inch and a half apart. Um, some guys skate, you know, half an inch, an inch apart. Like it all kind of depends on the stability versus the the turning radius kind of thing. But, um, I mean, it, it's definitely tough. And, you know, when NH- when I see NHL players get in sleds, like they have the hands. The hands don't change. But, man, moving, like, is just so difficult for them because it's just a totally different workout. And I think most people think – Oh, it's a lot of upper body and it is a lot of upper body strength, but the core strength you need to be able to, you know, sustain a check or even just to turn and stay up on that one blade when you're turning. Um, I think that's definitely something that's pretty underrated when you're first starting out. That's I just even watching. So watching the, the goaltender, so like watching Steve cash, I think he's probably the best hockey goalie in the world because I don't know how he does it just the Mm -hmm. thought of the lateral movement on the sled and still managing to get where he needs to go um with the spikes and not somehow you know not injuring people with it is that something that happens do people get cut by those very violent uh goalie gloves um, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I actually played goalie pretty recently just to, you know, change it up and have some fun. And I remember I tapped one of the guys on the shoulder and I was like, oh crap. Like I, I didn't, I just totally forgot I had those. So, um, definitely if you're coming near Steve and you're a, of Canadian descent, there's a good chance you might get some <laughs> in your shoulder or something just because, you know, if you're running him, he's not going to take the Liberty, t- let you take that Liberty. But, um, I think, you know, it's, it's tough, like playing goalie. I mean, Obviously, they most goalies have plastic blades, so it makes their their lateral movement uh, a little bit easier than just metal. But you know, I think we've seen we have two goalies that play with their legs straight out. The Canadians have guys that sit cross-legged. One guy, uh, Dominic Larocque, kind of like hops up on his pad uh, as like a in a, like a butterfly style. So to to be honest, like it's just really fun watching the differences and you know finding out ways to to try to beat both of them because you know. The styles are so different, so shooting on them is completely different. And I think that's something pretty unique to the sport because, I mean, every goalie has their own style. They have their own, you know, stance and, you know, how they make saves. But they're all pretty much the same or very similar where, you know, there's completely different ways that you can sit as a sled goalie and totally throw people off. And people think stand-up goalies are voodoo. That that sounds like the analysis for, for sled hockey goalies would just be... Like, I kind of want to curl up in a corner right now just thinking about that and also kind of want to just fall down a YouTube rabbit hole now. But uh, <laughs> final question, uh, is there a way to play sled hockey not on the ice? Like, is it a roller game as well? I don't think or there is, are, only is a roller game, but I know there are, like, conversion kits so that you can take the blades off, put some wheels on. Um, and you can kind of go about it like that. I think that's more for like off ice training or for using on like a track, but I think that'd be awesome if we can find a way to, you know, put it on, on like a, a gym floor or like a basketball court. Cause I think that just open it up so much. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like 
some barriers to entry are the cost. And we talked about, uh, you know, Mike talked about uh, ice time costs. So finding a way to, to get it in a, in a roller setting, I think would be really beneficial for the sport. And at the very least, give more people a chance to try it and see if that's something they really want to pursue. That's, that, that should be, that should be your next endeavor when you're done writing 8,000 books and coaching and traveling around and winning another, you know, four gold medals for, for the U S. Um, but I think, I think we are out of time now. I know Mikey's got some, some crazy busy schedule here today. Um, thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, this has been probably, I think, arguably my favorite conversation and not just because you suggested people, uh, play without legs to, to avoid getting hurt. I think that's, that's one of my favorite lines. Um, but where, where can people find you? What are you up to right now? Other than heading to a, heading to tryout camps. Um, right now I'm really just making sure that I'm, I'm ready to go as far as, uh, hockey. I've kind of put off, uh, right. Well, I'm not writing anymore. I wrote my one book and I'm calling it quits for a little bit at least, but, um, but yeah, I'm really just making sure that I'm kind of set and uh, ready for t- for this game or for the team, just because I think it's going to be such a weird year. I want to make sure it has my full attention. But you know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter at SpudsUSA27. I know it's a, a different handle, but I am almost Mr. Potato Head. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and you know, if you want to find me, Josh at JoshPauls.com. If you're looking to book me as a speak- speaker, you know, I'm happy to talk with you know schools, companies. Um, I've traveled around. I'm probably not going to travel as much until, you know, this whole thing's over. But, um, yeah, if it's, I'm doing a lot of different stuff and, you know, I think I can bring a lot of value to, to a lot of different organizations and give different perspectives for people. Well, and thank where you. can people find your book be- before we oh, officially yeah. let you go? Where can people find your book? Of course you can find my book. Um, it's on Amazon. But uh, you can always email me, book at joshpauls.com. I have copies that I send out uh, personally. And so that's the only way that you're going to get a signed copy. So uh, people can find it there. It's super easy to get a copy. We just figure it out, figure out payment, and then I send it out. So if you're looking for a personalized copy, book at joshpauls.com is the way to go. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And a fun, fun little tidbit: you are our first gold medalist that have that has joined us. So uh, it's very cool for us. So thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Your gold medalist per sixty just went skyrocketing. I right? know. We're we're it's a hot ticket it. now. We're a hot ticket. A hundred percent higher now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for having me on. All right. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too.